Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We've been in a series, A Brand New We. Not a brand new me, but a brand new we. We've been literally going line by line through the book of Ephesians, six chapters that the Apostle Paul wrote while in prison to a group of believers, a new church, and we've been seeing a lot of similarities, some things that are pretty, pretty crazy. You would think that he was writing to a bunch of new Iberians the way we've been walking through this, but he wasn't. He was writing to a bunch of Ephesians. Um, And that's why the letter that he wrote is entitled Ephesians. He was writing to a church in Ephesus. And over the last several weeks, we've we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I started off talking about the same old plan, brand new identity. Y'all remember that message that we spoke? We said that God has a plan all along for bringing lost people back to himself. We shared a message on the trophies of grace. And I reminded you that God is proud of you. So proud of the work that he's done in you, he wants to show you off to other people so that they can see what God could do with them. I remember speaking about the wrong jacket. How many remember that that message in the series, the, the the wrong jacket? The church can't move forward if its people aren't getting along. And when divisions exist, when we put on the wrong jacket, when we put on the wrong identity, Paul is talking to us and he's helping this church understand if you're going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, this is what it needs to look like. I I shared a message called Like a Father Would Do It, and Paul kind of used his own life example. He starts to pray and then get sidetracked like your daddies do. You start talking about back in the day and all of that. He helped us understand that a daily surrendered life to Jesus will allow his love and compassion to fill you overflowing. And we learn that when we're full of God, the world can't crush us. You remember that, you remember that message? We talked about walk this way, that God, God doesn't start with our behavior, right? He, in his graciousness, he starts with our belonging. And if, if he can help us understand that we belong, then he can start working on the way we believe. And if he can change the way we believe, then it affects the way we behave. And if we can belong and then believe and then behave, eventually we can become the things that God has for us. All of that has been in Ephesians. And last time I was here, we spoke about maturity matters. We said salvation is a free gift, but maturity comes with effort. And digging in, Right where we left off, I want us to jump back in. Paul's got some things he wants to share with us, but I have to warn you, he's going to be pretty confrontational. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. Those of you that have your toes out in the aisle, you might want to tuck them back underneath you for just a little bit. It's not your pastor. It's Paul. He's doing it. I'm just the messenger going to share his words, not mine. Let's just, let's, let's dig in. There's going to be a lot of scripture today, so let's Let's buckle up. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. I'm going to jump right in where we left off. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are the the non-Jews, the non-believing Jews, the people who don't know God. Here's what he says, live no longer as those people do, for they are hopelessly confused. You know anybody like that? Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have 
no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Wait a minute. Is he talking to Ephesians or is he talking to New Iberians? Don't point, but you know anybody that, he, that he's talking about here. Yeah, it's crazy how familiar some of this sounds when we start looking at it. Let's keep going. Verse 23. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. Look at this. And to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within you as your new life, your new identity, and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. Look at this. And you now belong to him in the realm of true, what's that word? Holiness. Holiness. And I got a question for you this morning. Does our holiness matter? Does it matter? How close to the line can I get before I've gone too far? Where's the line? What's, what's allowable Christian? Some of y'all got real quiet real fast. I told you. This is just Paul. He's the one that brought it up, not me. I'm just going through this. Listen, how close is the line? What's allowable Christian behavior? What kind of things can we do in the name of Christian liberty? Does God care how I live my life? Does he care how I behave? And let me tell you, this is important. I'm glad Paul went here because I've read the rest of the letter. I've read the rest of the book. Here's where he's going. He's saying, listen, I want to show you what a godly marriage looks like. I want to show you what godly parenting looks like. I want to show you what it's like to have godly relationships, but I can't do it if we don't go here first. He's saying holiness is important. In order to show you those relationships, I need to talk about how you're living and the way you're living, your personal holiness. Say this with me, my holiness matters. See, the way you care for yourself, the way you live your own life will impact those very important relationships. You cannot have the marriage that God has for you if you don't live the way God would have you live. You can't, thank you, you cannot parent the way God would have you parent if you're not living the way God would have you live. And it's a challenge, and I'm so grateful Paul went here because it gives me the opportunity to remind us that we're out here trying to do it God's way and want all of God's things, but if we don't live the life God would have us live, we're gonna miss it. And it's not because God doesn't have good things for you, it's just because we're out here doing it our own way. Our holiness matters. And here's where I struggle sometimes. As I look at that word, and I look at Paul's righteousness and some of these things, and I have over here a pile of sticks. These are very special sticks. These are, no, these are sticks that Isaac probably pulled from his backyard. Um, but I, I look, sometimes I look at this word, and I look at what the Apostle Paul is saying, and how, how he compares, and I'm a new creation, and I'm, I'm righteous, and I'm standing before God as, you know, justified just as if I'd never sinned. And I look at my own life, and if I'm honest, I feel a lot like this crooked stick. Anybody else over here? You feel like, man, if you knew me the way I knew me, and I'm like, God, how can you, how can you say those things? And I, I take my life, and I lay it up against this word. Y'all know how to tell if this stick is crooked, right? You lay a straight one right next to it. 
And that's what happens when I read his word and it, sometimes it's discouraging to me because I look at my life and I'm thinking, I got a crooked stick. And so I don't know about you, but I don't like feeling that way. I don't like looking at God's righteous, holy standard, perfect, righteous living, and then look at my own life and this crooked stick, and I don't like feeling crooked. So I don't know about you, but this is what I do. I start looking around, and I start comparing with the other sticks up here, and I say, you know, this one's pretty, pretty crooked too. And, uh, and, and this one, yeah, man, some of you guys around here. Your sticks look a lot like this. You're doing real good. And then, and then just, just, just off, like, you know. If I hold this one just like this, it looks a little straighter. Don't, don't look at the side. Some of, you, some of you only want us to see the thing you put forward, not the, not the, whole, not the whole you. But I start looking at, at the stick and my life, and I don't want to feel like a crooked stick, so I start comparing my crooked stick with all the other crooked sticks around, and some of you make me feel really good about myself. Thank you. <laughs> but we do that, don't we? And we start saying, man, I, I, I feel bad when I compare myself to this stick. But as long as I keep my eyes off of this stick, and I start looking at all of those sticks, I feel better about myself, and the Apostle Paul would say, that's not how you do it. And what Paul's about to unpack for us is he starts laying very straight sticks next to our crooked sticks, is he starts showing us some things, and it's, it's a challenge because the way he goes about doing it is so brilliant, and I don't want us to miss this, and I hope I do justice to what he's about to unpack for us, but he, he, he doesn't just show us the crooked stick, he also shows us the straight stick. And I'll explain in this way. I've found in the way that I parent and in the way that I lead, it's much easier and more lasting effect if I don't just point out what they did wrong, but show them what they should have done right. right? So, so in my household, it would look something like this. I, I don't come in and say, kids, take your feet off the couch. I say, hey, kids, let's put our feet on the ground. Right? I want to show them what good behavior looks like. Y'all do know that it's in the heart of your children to please you. It is. It is in the utmost heart of every child to please mom and dad. Some of them just don't hear a lot of what it would look like to please mom and dad. They just only hear the things that don't please mom and dad. And Paul, I'm so grateful the way he, he does this. He doesn't just say, don't do it that way. He says, do it this way. One way only points to where they are, where they're wrong, but doesn't help them. The other way points to where they should be going and what it should be looking like. I know my stick is crooked, God, but if you'll show me the right way, I'll do my best to live that way. And that's what the Apostle Paul does as we start walking through this. It's called correction by comparison. And he wants to correct us, not just show us what's wrong, but also show us what's right. He shifts our focus off of what's crooked in our lives, what we've done wrong, and puts our focus on something straight that we can look at and live up to. Are y'all following me thus far? Let's dig in. I'm going to show you. This is going to be really rapid fire here, but it's important I get through some of these verses. Ephesians 4.25, he says this, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. You see the difference? He doesn't just say stop telling lies. He says, start telling your neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. 
But he doesn't just stop there. He goes, instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others. Stop lying, tell the truth, quit stealing, do hard work so that you can be generous to other people. I was reading this this week, and it reminded me of some time when I was in Bible school in Austin. We would go to the University of Austin campus, and we would go and evangelize, and we would talk to people that we assumed may be far from God, and we would strike up conversations with them in a hope to steer the conversation toward a relationship with Jesus and find out where they were. So we were trying to show them how they had violated God's righteous standard, but you can't just walk up to somebody and be like, hey, you know Jesus. Some of you can do that. I can't. Um, so we would walk around, I'd find somebody, and I kind of, after a while, you get in a rhythm of how you would talk to them. And I would actually use these two things to start the conversation. I'd walk up, hey, can I ask you a question? Have you ever told a lie before? Maybe not a big lie, just a little white lie. I have before. And usually they would say what? Yeah, I told a little white lie. It's like, yeah, I, me too. Listen, what, when, when somebody tells a lie, what does that make them? A liar. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm a liar too. Hey, have you ever stolen anything? Ballpoint, pen, paperclip, Mercedes Benz. I guess the size of it doesn't really matter. But have you ever stolen anything? I remember when I was 10 years old, I used to go to the local card, baseball card shop and I would give myself a two-for-one deal. I would put one on the counter and one in my pocket to do that. Don't look at your pastor that way. Jesus has helped me too. And they would laugh and they would chuckle, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've stolen some things. And for those who said I've never stolen anything, I would ask, have you ever told somebody you'd meet them at 2 o'clock and you didn't show up till 2.05? Maybe that was five minutes of their time that you stole from them that they can't get back. Is, it, is that possible? And I say, yeah, well, I guess I've done that. Hey, somebody who steals something, what do you call them? A thief. It's like, you're right. Man, a thief. That's kind of harsh, huh? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked upon somebody in an immoral way? Maybe undressed them with their eyes or imagined something romantically that maybe wasn't a reality, but you kind of hoped it would be. And I'm talking to college-age kids, especially the young men. And do you know what they would usually say in that moment? What do you think they would say? Oh, yeah. uh, they would say no. <laughs> At which point I would say, well, you just told me you're a lying thief, so I don't know that I can believe you <laughs> in that as well. And we would spend the time talking through and showing them that if you're guilty of breaking just one of God's commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of them. You've got a crooked stick. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's walking through and showing us that that it's not just stop lying, not just stop stealing, but you need to go further in this. Look at verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. That's not mama talking. That's, That's Paul talking here. Don't talk that way. And then he says this, let everything you say be good and helpful. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. How many of you grew up saying you shouldn't cuss? But how many of you grew up hearing, hey, you should use language that helps and encourages and edifies and builds people up? You'd think about life a little differently. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, don't just do the wrong things. Do the right things. Did you know that your words are not neutral? Scripture doesn't say that you can say whatever you want and it has no impact. Scripture says that there is life and death in the power of the tongue. It doesn't say there's life and some stuff that doesn't really matter, neutral stuff that you can just kind of say, you know, and then there's death things. It's either one or the other. You're either speaking life or you're speaking death. Think about the people that you interact with. Everybody knows somebody that when you leave their presence, you feel better about yourself than when you did. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Y'all know some people like that? 
If you don't know anybody, I want to introduce you to Dr. John Mahoney after service. Because it is impossible to leave that man's presence without you feeling better about yourself in the middle. Everything he says is good and encouragement and for building up other people. He probably knew this verse existed in Ephesians. There's life and death, no in between. Does my holiness matter? Yes, it does. Therefore, Ephesians 5.1. Again, we're just walking around. I'm just walking you right through this. Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, this is huge. He could have said, don't be like the devil. But he doesn't. He, he should have said, hey, don't do all these things. He shows you what to be like. Don't just focus on what not to do and fo- instead of focus on what to do. Keep your eye on the straight stick, he would say, not the crooked one. Focus on where you want to be, not just where you are. You'll see in this in, in Scripture 5.2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Look at this. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Doesn't that just give you warm fuzzies when you think about that? You know, bed, bath, and beyond, and the smelly soap aisle, and, you know, these fragrant offerings and all that. Can I just can I be, be your pastor for a second and help you? That's not the image that this first century church would have had when they hear a fragrant aroma to God and a sacrifice. Think more like burning flesh. Think more like meat on the grill kind of fragrant offering. Because y'all know that's what would happen when they would go and sacrifice before God. They would take animals and animal fat and animal skins and grain and they would put it on the altar and fire would consume it. And that smell, the aroma of that sacrifice would be fragrant to God because of the obedience they did in doing it. And here's what Paul is trying to say. When you sacrifice something for God, it is pleasing to him. Look at this. He says, and, and, as, and walk in love as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He died for us. He gave himself for us. It wasn't the death that was pleasing to God. It was the obedience that he had in pleasing to God. I'm asking you the question, does our holiness matter? Paul's trying to say, hey, walk in love and give up yourself. To walk in holiness, a death must take place. A death to what, Pastor Don? A death to your flesh. The altar represented a place where death occurred and a sacrifice was made. Fire would consume the offering, often leaving nothing left of what was originally place there. And here's the truth I want you to take from this. Every time I sacrifice my flesh on the altar of holiness, it's pleasing to the Father. Every time I sacrifice my flesh on the altar of holiness, it's pleasing to the Father. Well, Pastor Don, what are some of the things, the kinds of things that I'm going to be asked to lay down in this Christian walk if I'm going to live life this way and walk this way? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul jumps right in on verse 3, and here's what he says. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, here's the challenge some of you have when you read this. As you're saying, man, that must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Well, well, what's immorality? What does it look like? And it goes right back to where we started, and you start thinking, well, The world says this is okay. 
Does that mean that it's okay? Immoral means not moral. And in a society, like Pastor Jacob said last week, that is amoral where you do you and there is no righteous standard, when you tell somebody that they're being immoral, they hear you say, you're doing it not the way I do it. And that's a trouble. That's a, that's a problem for us if we're reading this. And Paul would say, you got a crooked stick. I'm going to lay it next to this straight stick. Morality is not defined by the sticks that are around us in this room. Morality is defined by this book and what God says the truth is supposed to be. And so we have to read these things, and it says, it says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper. Are you going to look to the other crooked sticks in your life to define what is moral? Or are you going to look to God's word? If you don't read this book, you don't know. If you think this book wasn't written to you, you don't know. If the loudest voices in your life or the life of your children are the people around on television and some of these reality shows and and all of those things, you're comparing your crooked stick next to their crooked stick, and it'll make you feel good for a little bit, but next to this straight one, what happens? Uh Uh-oh. I don't measure up. Look at this. If it isn't straight by his standard, I lay it down at his altar. That's how it works. I remember being 19 years old. I was born again at a young age for 14 years, just did my own thing, just did my own thing, so far from God, knew God, knew he had a purpose for me, just doing my own thing at 19 years old, God really restored me to him, gave me a heart and a hunger and a passion for him, and I remember sitting on the edge of a bed next to my girlfriend saying, we can't keep living like this, it's not right. We had been comparing our crooked stick to so many other crooked sticks. And I started reading this book and I started to get really convicted and realize that I can't live this way. I can't do it. I, I, I need to lay this down. And I remember just feeling so much peace and so much growth and so much freedom when I took something and I laid it down at his altar. I took a sexually immoral relationship and I laid it down. I said, I don't, I don't want this anymore. I want him. I want him. And I can't have him and have this at the same time. That's what I want. Verse 4, Pastor John, what, are other, what other things are okay in society but that I should really lay down at the altar? Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. They're out of place. But instead, here's a comparison. Here's a straight stick. Let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5. Why does my holiness matter? For you may be sure of this, he says, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, is, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me bring it into a different translation for you. If that wasn't plain enough, this will help you. Same verse, different translation. Being greedy indecent or immoral is just another way of worshiping idols you can be sure that people who behave in this way will never be part of the kingdom that belongs to christ and to god look at me church and i'm your pastor and i love you and i want good god things for you but if you are in a sexual relationship with somebody other than your husband or your wife you are in sin and you need to repent i do not care 
nor does scripture care what society says is okay. This word is straight, your stick is crooked. Paul's trying to help you by telling you, you don't need to live that way. And if you come to the same decision I came to and you can't lay that relationship down, that relationship has become a God to you. You were worshiping that God instead of this God. That's okay, you still got nine toes left and I got a few minutes to go. We'll see where we are. Idolater, really? That's some strong language, Paul. But listen, anything you can't lay down in obedience before God, you are essentially setting up as, a, as an altar to worship it instead of God. That's a, that's a big deal. I have conversations often, and I wish I didn't, but that's okay. I guess it comes with the job with people who will ask me, hey, how far is too far? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody having conversations with people like that? Well, if I, if I do this, but I don't do that, is that far enough? Have I, have I gone too far? Look, Ephesians 5, 3, we've, we've already determined what God says. He says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of immorality. Most of us are looking for that hard line, right? Like if I keep walking, how long do I walk before I've no longer crossed the stage? I mean, I can get pretty... I see people, some of you wonder why you can't run in your Christian walk. It's because you're too busy trying to dance the line. And you forget that God's given you all this freedom over here. And if you walk in freedom, you can, you can move. If, I'm telling you, if you try, Jason might have to catch me if I fall. If, if, you, try, if you try to walk this line, You wonder why you can't run and you're encumbered. You see people walking slow. It's not that they don't have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of them. They're trying to find the line. How far can I go? I got a phone call one day. I remember exactly where I was driving down Shaman Metairie in Youngsville. And I got a phone call from this guy. Hey, pastor, can I ask you a question? Sure. How are you? Well, listen, I've been dating this girl and she loves God, and I love God, and, and we've, been, we've been pure, and, and this is, I'm just really excited, but, you know, we're, we're going on a vacation together. We're going to go down to Destin. I said, really? Tell me about that. Well, that's why I'm calling. Okay. He said, you know, we'd save a lot of money if we just got one room instead of two. I mean, not like, we'd do two queen beds, pastor. We wouldn't do one king bed. We'd two queen beds in that. And I just wanted to, I wanted to ask you, because you're my pastor, you know, is, is, is that okay? Can we, because, you know, saving money, I want to, I want to save money. And, and I'm driving down the road, sports complex on the left, I'm just cruising. I'm like, I'm really having this conversation with, with this guy. And I said, let me ask you a question. Yeah, sure, sure. He's like, Why'd you call me? <laughs> well, uh, no, 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 listen. Like, you think maybe something might be wrong? They gave you pause for just a second to wonder. Let me be the voice of confirmation in your life because I think the Holy Spirit is already speaking to you. And you knew it was wrong before you ever picked up the phone. But in case there was any doubt in your mind, let me be a loving, kind, gentle, gracious pastor to you. No! 
don't you dare. What are you talking about? Why would you do that? And here's the challenge. If we're having to have this conversation, I told them, you probably already have a hint that what you're doing is wrong. That's what Paul's saying. Let there not even be a hint of immorality among you. Newsflash. If you think it might be wrong, it probably is. Some of us have spent so much time squishing and quelching and silencing that voice of conviction in our life, we can no longer hear the difference between our desires and the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. The voice you listen to will become the loudest voice in your life. Look what Ephesians 10 says. Paul helps you. He knows. He knows the struggle. He knows the struggle. Here's what he says, 510, his solution to this, trying to find the line. says this, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Rather than ask what behaviors will displease God, why don't you start asking what kind of things would please him and walk toward those. Instead of trying to figure out how close to the line can I get, Paul says, why don't you spend your life looking for the things that please him and walk toward those. Most of us try to find the things that are pleasing to us. Newsflash, that's not holiness. Holiness is walking toward the things that please him. Y'all okay? Give me a toe count. Six, five, seven. How many you got left? Okay, because I got more time and we got more verses. Verse five, Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. Look at this. And this, is, this, is, this happens. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. When I was in kids' church, we would sing a song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. What's he saying? That you can eclipse the light inside of you by the way that you live. And if you do, if you live the way everybody around you lives with the light you have on inside, you're essentially covering that light that they won't be able to see it. And it's so important. Your holiness matters. 11 through 14 says this. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. I tell you, if you can't talk to other people about your behavior, it's probably not holy, right? If you have to change the television channel when somebody else walks in the room, if you have to close the lid or cancel the browser or shield your phone when somebody walks up, it's probably not holy. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. I love what Pastor Jacob says. He says, if the right people aren't made aware of your struggles, eventually everybody else will. If the right people aren't made of the I'm not saying get on Facebook and go confess your sin to everybody. But what I am saying is find some trusted people. You can go and say, man, listen, I'm, this is my, I'm struggling. I'm trying. I got this crooked stick and I see this straight stick next to it and I'm helping. If you don't do that, there will be a day where this is visible to everybody. And I don't want that for you. You're only as sick as your secrets, Pastor Jacob would also say. 
Verse 15. Y'all okay? We're just going verse by verse. This is Paul. This is not your pastor. I love you. I'm going to be out in the foyer loving, hugging, kissing cheeks, all that kind of stuff. You may be hobbling, but you'll, you'll be okay. Verse 15. Look at this. Does our holiness matter? What does Paul say? Be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Your holiness matters. And there's a way God wants you to live, and it's not dancing the line. It's running in the freedom that God has given you. Don't look for that line. Walk in the freedom. Put some intention behind the way you live. You have this brand new identity, and he wants everybody to see it. Some of us can't even imagine God using us in a ministry or in a service opportunity because all we can see is this crooked stick. It reminds me, this idea of a crooked stick had me thinking about the story of a woman, the woman caught in adultery. You remember the story? I'm going to read it to you just for those of you that, that don't know or are not familiar with the story. But I want you to think about her crooked stick and how it was on display for everybody. This is from John chapter 7. Goes right in through eight. It says they were each, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Question Was her stick crooked? Answer? Yeah. And they placing her in the midst. They they didn't just like say, hey, Jesus, we got this lady out back. They paraded her and her crooked stick right up in the middle of the church service. During the middle of the sermon, they come in and said, hey, look what we found. It's a crooked stick. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women... So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. Pause for just a second. You know who else had some crooked sticks up in the middle of our story? Every single one of those men that brought her forward. But how were they living? My stick's not as crooked as hers. Every single one of them. I don't know what Jesus was writing in the ground, and I don't think anybody does. He could have been writing his name, where he was last night, what he was looking at. He could have just gone one by one. He could have just been writing a straight line, showing them how crooked their stick was. Verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And here's the most powerful part. Look at this. What does he say? Go, and from now on, sin no more. He didn't ask her about her adultery. He didn't tell her what the Bible said about her sin. 
He didn't educate her head. He changed her heart. And I hope you read this story and you ask yourself the same question I ask myself every time I read this story. And it's this. Here's the question. Would Jesus have told her, go and sin no more if it wasn't possible for her to go and sin no more? He's saying your holiness matters. I know your stick is crooked. But your holiness, what you do from this point forward, how you live your life, it matters. And if you're still in here comparing your crooked stick to everybody else's crooked stick around here, you're going to find yourself in one of two camps. Here's the first one. Well, my stick is less crooked than theirs. I don't need to change. Or maybe you find yourself like hers and you say, you know what? My stick is a whole lot more crooked than theirs. Maybe I can't change. And I think both are present. If you compare your crooked stick to everybody else's crooked stick, you'll either feel like you don't need to change or you'll feel like you can't change. And here's the crazy part. This is what the Apostle Paul would want us to know as we're walking through this. The same thing that Jesus knows about our lives, our crooked sticks and our new identity in Christ. Did you know that even a crooked stick can draw a straight line? Some of you never thought about that. That your life is so messed up and so detracted and so off course. God could never use me. Your crooked stick can draw a straight line. Only two things about this lady changed in that moment. She was still the same lady that they had just found caught in adultery. That didn't change. But Jesus looks at her and says, go and sin no more. What has changed? What can we find out from that? What changes in that story that allows that crooked stick to go draw a straight line going forward? Here are the two things that we found. Number one, she found a brand new relationship with Jesus. That's what changed. She didn't have a relationship with him before. And number two, he gave her a brand new identity, a brand new way of seeing herself and others around her. And a relationship with Jesus and a brand new identity is all you need for your crooked stick to start drawing straight lines in your life. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, just listen to my voice few more things to share with you and then we'll be gone your holiness matters your purity the way you live before other people the things you say yes to the things you say no to the places you go the places you don't go the things you watch the things you don't watch they matter and you can do it it doesn't matter how crooked your stick is or how crooked you think your stick isn't. With God's help, Jesus' sacrifice, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can still draw a straight line. Every week, I tell you about a conversation Jesus had in John chapter 3 with a very religious leader with a crooked stick. He talked to this man named Nicodemus. He said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He says, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And Nicodemus says, well, do I have to go back into my mother's womb again? And Jesus says this. I'm paraphrasing, but here's what he says. He says, there are two births. There's a birth that happens from the flesh. All of us have been through this first birth. It happened when the water broke. And then we were born from our mother's womb. But then Jesus says there's a second birth. And it's not initiated by you. It's initiated by the Spirit. God's Spirit working in your life. Showing you, laying a straight stick next to your crooked one. And allows you to see your life the way you've never seen it before. The Holy Spirit working in your life precedes another birth for you to be born again. And I want to ask you today, have you been born again? Has the Holy Spirit come and shown you yourself in light of God's straight stick, his righteous standard, his holiness, and have shown you where you've fallen short? I would say it this way. A, B, C. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, A, you'd be able to admit that you're a sinner that the way you've lived your life has separated you from a righteous and a holy God. B, believe. You'd be able to believe that Jesus was God's son, his holy son sent and lived a sinless life that you couldn't live to pay a debt that you couldn't pay. And then C, confess. You'd be able to confess him as Lord and Savior. I need you to hold that for just a second while everybody else is praying and thinking in their spirit. A, I admit that I'm a sinner. B, I believe that Jesus is God's son sent just for me. C, I want to confess him as Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, the Holy Spirit's working in my heart. I want to be born again today. Will you pray with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. I just want to know who I'm praying with today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you're seated. Raise it now and let me know who I'm praying with. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. You three in the middle, I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Up in the balcony, I'm looking. Thank you. I see your hand. You haven't been born again, but your Holy Spirit's doing a work in your heart right now. Everybody put your hands down. One more time before I pray with everybody. If you didn't raise your hand, but you know you needed to, you know you should have. The Holy Spirit is strong and convicting you. That voice inside that's saying, I'm not sure is this God or not. It is. In a moment like this, he's trying to draw you close to him. Before I pray with everybody else, if you raise your hand already, don't raise it now. Anybody else before I start praying, raise your hand now. Thank you, I see your hand. Church, I'm going to invite us all to pray together. You can repeat after me, especially those of you that raised your hand. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus... I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, 
and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate with those who raise their hand to be born again?